I need you, God. And can you forgive me and help me? I had a really good childhood, a good upbringing. I was raised in a church. Got married right outside of high school and had three kids. When my youngest was just a few years old, we moved to Michigan. And that's when things changed. Um, we got up here and we didn't have family near us anymore. And our marriage kind of started falling apart. <laughs> Sorry. We got divorced and I had to throw myself into work because I had to find a way to raise my kids. Back then, they didn't do joint custody. The kids stayed with mom. I started in the bookkeeping department at a, at a bank and worked my way up and ended up over the years becoming a senior VP and in charge of the mortgage department. I did take a little bit of a risk and I accepted another job. With that job, I was under a contract, and if I left their employment, I couldn't work anywhere in the state of Michigan. And I went to two different attorneys, and they said, you better pack your bags and go, because this contract is ironclad. So I moved down to Kentucky with my two daughters. Within a couple weeks of school starting, my um, daughter, who was a junior, she was going into a pretty bad depression, and so I called her dad and I said, you know, I gotta send her back home. Can't stand to watch her like that. So I sent her home, and then basically I was alone because my older daughter, she was out on her own with the baby. And, um, you know, started drinking a lot. After the contract was up, when I was finally able to, to get work back up here, I moved back. I still was drinking. My middle daughter had gotten married and had a baby, and I was babysitting for the baby one night, and I, I picked her up, and somehow the way I picked her up re-injured an old back injury. I ended up six, seven months later needing back surgery, but the, the six, seven months leading up to that, um, I was in horrific pain. So I um, drank. I would go to work. I'd get home, and I'd crack a beer, and two, and three, and four, till there was no pain, no more pain. After I had that surgery, the pain was gone, and um, I didn't need to drink anymore, but I couldn't stop. And I tried. Um, I tried. My girls decided to pull a little mini intervention. We got into a little scuffle at the house. One of them called the police, and I spent one night in jail. When I was in jail, all I could think about was the mess I'd made of my life. You know, there were so many times when I know God was pursuing me. I know he was trying to get my attention, and I just ignored him. I, I kept running. I just kept doing it my way. And then when I was at the lowest I've ever been in my entire life, and I cried out to him, he was there. And I could feel him. I could feel him in that jail cell. I knew everything was gonna be okay. That night, I asked Jesus back into my life. I felt relief and, and the desire to drink was gone. He just 
removed it. And it hasn't come back, and it's been almost 17 years. God laid on my heart to start doing art. I felt like he wanted me to paint. When I'm painting, I start with a blank canvas. I just throw paint on, and it just looks horrible. And it looks like you'll never be able to make anything out of that. Out of something that's ugly, it just starts turning into something beautiful. And no matter how I veer, where we veer off, God brings us back and those little accidents become happy accidents and draw us closer to God and closer to that finished painting. And that's how it was with my life. It was so messed up, yet God was able to turn it around and make something really good out of my life. When I, I look back at the, the mess, I kind of realized that I had to go through all that so I can be where I am now. I want other people to have the same opportunity that I've had and to know Christ the way I do. Now that I know God and I've studied His Word, I know that there's nothing you or I could ever do that would make God not want us. And to know that no matter what you've done, He can turn it around and He'll heal you. Becky, thanks so much for sharing your story with us this weekend. I just every time I've seen it, just been moved by different things. I, I think what I heard in it this time was, and you, you hadn't shared this story with a lot of your, your friends. This was the first time sharing this. She was a little nervous about this, and um, she hadn't shared parts of the story that, um, I don't know, for whatever reason. What, what do you think the reason was? Just embarrassment or shame? Yeah. And a lot of times you, you come to church and you, you can feel today like these people aren't like me. They haven't done what I've done. And I just want you to know like a senior VP can, you know, start to drink and then drink too much and can become an alcoholic <laughs> and domestic violence can happen. And you could have gone to jail here today. Um, you could have been an addict could have been divorced. I remember we were even talking about why you sort of left the church for a long, long, long time and didn't come back was just that feeling that the church was a place of judgment after going through divorce and all those things. And I love what you said. There's nothing you can do to kind of outrun the love of God. And man, I just appreciate your boldness and courage in sharing with us. Can you give it up for Becky? I don't know, as John said, what brings you out today, but you're in the right place. You're in a place that's filled with a lot of messed up people who just know how to dress up for Easter. <laughs> it's funny, around here, if you come other weeks of the year, um, people don't look so snazzy around here, but uh, I haven't seen some of you look this good my whole life, and, uh, and I even am wearing something even semi uh, 
metrosexual today, so this is really, really cool. I don't even know what metrosexual is. I just heard that on the news last week, and I'm like, I think I'm one of those guys. But uh, if, if you're here and you're like, man, I don't feel like I belong, and there's something that just feels threatening, just know that that story kind of gives the scarlet letters that a lot of us can feel spoken over us. And I don't know what that wound is in your life, and you feel like the church kicked you when you were down. I'm sorry about that. Um, but the Lord, he loves you, and love covers a multitude of sins. We have saying in our church that everyone's, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. I love that. There's just such hope there. There's such connection to story. Um, we also, you know, see all your faces, and there's no way I can know everyone here, but, but God knows each one sitting in every plastic chair, and every number here today has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God. Your story matters to God. I don't know if you believe that this morning, but I, I hope by the end of this message you believe there, there's nothing that you could do that would stop his rabid pursuit of your soul because he loves you with an everlasting, um, just ferocious love. Just as Becky was talking about just God pursuing her her whole life, I feel like that's the way it is for a lot of us, though he's protected us and provided for us and pursued us. And in some ways, you look back and sometimes if you're like me, you say, I didn't know it then, but I think that was God. There's so many things in my life that I look back and I think, gosh, I didn't know it at the time, but that was God intervening and intersecting my life and even intercepting me from the kingdom of darkness and bringing me to the kingdom of light. Um, I had an odd story just pop up in my mind, and I don't know if I've even shared this before or the context around it, but I went back to age 17 as I was thinking about where God touched down in my life one time that is unmistakable. And I was a senior in high school, and to, to be honest, I was wanting to get out of the church. The church was kind of an impressive place for me, kind of fundamentalist, um, and uh, rules, restrictions, requirements just abounded, and I just didn't feel freedom. And I was kind of teetering, grew up in a great family, but I was with my buddy Art, and we went down to Horseheads, New York. It was like three and a half hours from where I lived, and we are going to go down and do some small game hunting, and then we're going to do some dirt bike riding, and we're going to have a good time. And so we left and went down to Horseheads, New York, a good Indian-named town. And uh, we went out and did some hunting, had some fun, went over to one of his friends, his old friend's houses, and... Um, I didn't know this was going to happen, but a ton of guys came over, and uh, man, it turned into quite the rager. And it was happening around me, and I wasn't necessarily uh, what you would call a party animal at the time, but it was happening around me, and there's all kinds of peer pressure and things going on. And I remember one particular moment where there, it's like time froze, and I was sitting on the couch, and I was looking down, and we were watching this movie, and this movie had all kinds of like just sexuality in it and pornography in it and people were just around and it was really perverted and the whole atmosphere, it was one of those moments in time where I felt like I was in a war of the worlds. Any teenagers here know what that's like to sort of feel like there's a lot of pressure kind of coming in at both sides and, and you're in like a tug of war? 
And I remember being there and looking down and feeling in some ways convicted and then looking up and feeling attracted and at the same time feeling attracted and convicted and wondering where is my future gonna go from here? I certainly didn't think it would be standing up here doing what I'm doing today. I wanted to be a cop. I was gonna go into criminal justice and I really couldn't wait to get away from God or the God that I knew growing up. Uh, the next morning, I woke up, and we were going to be heading out later in that morning, and we were going to do some dirt bike riding. It was on this huge farm, and so we got the dirt bikes out, and we were just, just flying through fields, open fields. It was so much fun. I remember I was alone. I'd broken away from the pack, and I went to this one part, and there was this sort of tractor path that went down this hill, and there was woods on either side, and there, I remember it was sort of quagmire and marsh on the edges, and it was like about a quarter mile just straight down this hill and straight ahead. And I'm like, this is the place where you just open it up. Any dirt bike riders here? Anybody like have a need for speed? And so I was just, just like, just going, flying down this. I'm like, I'm going to see how fast this thing can go. And I was like, and I was hauling and I'm telling you, just like that, I looked from here to the tech booth in the back of the room, and I looked up, and this is what I saw across the trail with me going about 65, 70 miles an hour. You don't have much time to think about, well, I got option A, B, C, all the above. I was just thinking one option that came to my mind in a split second was go as fast as you can to possibly break through and just duck, because I just didn't want to be decapitated slowly. <laughs> it was like, it just, it'll probably be if I die, like more painless if I go faster. That's what came to my head. That's how crazy I was. And so I just went, turn that handle, handle and I just, just put my head as low as I could go, and I crashed into that fence. And I don't know what happened. I wish there was a camera. I have no idea what happened. But I came out the other side, and I was wobbling back and forth. My feet were hitting the ground to balance myself, and I went about 50 yards. I dropped the bike over on its side, and I was just shaking like in shock. I, I couldn't believe that I was alive. And the, and the bike, I remember it was like laying over on the side, half on my one foot. And I went over to shut it off. Don't you love my sound effects? The kids here are like, this is awesome. I love Easter. And uh, I remember I got up and I thought, oh my gosh, we got to leave today. I'm glad I'm alive. But the fence, like I'm going to leave this farmer's fence in shambles. And I go over to the fence and the fence looked exactly like that, it, like it was untouched. And in my mind, as I was going home, I'm like, man, God saved my life. And I don't know what my guardian angel is like, but he needs a pay raise because I have put him through the ringer. But I, I have to believe in this part of my life, God's like, I have a plan for your life. And it became a, a milestone in my life as I headed off to college and eventually got called to go into ministry of all things. See, God, God has been pursuing me my whole life as I look back, pursuing Becky, pursuing you. Even as we think about Easter and the story of Jesus, we think about Christmas, the birth of Christ, and we think about the death of Christ and Easter and the resurrection. A lot of times we can think, well, Jesus, he lived right here, the bookends of, of Christmas and Easter in the 33 years nearly 2,000 years ago, and we celebrate that. But I want you to know that Jesus has been pursuing humanity contextually in the scriptures all the way from the book of Genesis, which is what she's painting right now, which is the robe of Jesus and Jesus' pierced hands 
reaching down at the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. There's something I, I don't know if you've ever heard about this. There's moments in the Old Testament and even a couple in the New where Jesus showed up before he showed up as a baby in Bethlehem. This God-man Jesus has been in hot pursuit of mankind since the beginning, making these cameo appearances on this planet at specific times to specific people in specific situations. These are called Christophanies. That might be a new word for you, or theophanies, where he expresses himself to human beings and manifests himself. And though there aren't many of them in the scriptures, they are pure gold when it comes to showing us the lengths that Jesus will go to in order to seek and save those he loves, his personal pursuit of the human heart. Starting back in, in the Garden of Eden, if you read Genesis 1 where it said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and, and, and it was form, formless and, and void and empty and, and it was God who said, let there be light and there was light. And if you notice all the other days of creation, he spoke everything into existence. But once you move to, to Genesis chapter 2, it goes from the word God, Elohim, to the God which is Yahweh. And, and God Elohim means matchless or awesome or other or untouchable. But, but the God Yahweh means with us, like Emmanuel, God with us, or present or personal or intimate. And Yahweh shows up, and you'll notice in chapter 2, if you're reading your Bible, it goes from God, 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 and it moves to Yahweh, the Lord God, the Lord God, the tangible God, the Son of God came to earth to talk to and touch and we read in Adam and Eve, he came down and formed them. Then the Lord God, in verse 7, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This is the origin of humanity, because Jesus came and fashioned this man and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and we were animated or inspirited by God. It says, then the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God, Yahweh, Jesus, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. You go to chapter 3, and it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of, of Jesus, or the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden of the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God, or Jesus, among the trees of the garden. But Jesus called out to them, and said, where are you? Where are you? Can, can you imagine just going home today on your property and hearing the footsteps of Jesus and turning around and taking a stroll around the property and, and shooting the breeze with Jesus? That's what they did. The text intimates that this was a regular occurrence where he would come in the cool of the day and hang out with them and talk with them and, and walk with them and they would hear the sound of his footsteps and the sound of his voice and they were formed by his very hands and they were brought to life by his very mouth over their nostrils. They knew him well. He walked with them. He interacted with them. It was Jesus, the Lord God, Yahweh the physical expression 
the tangible expression, the palpable expression of God in flesh on this planet. Because we know from the Bible, no man has seen God and lived. So you can't walk with God and see God and live. And, and we know that God is spirit. And anyone who worships him must worship him in spirit and truth, it says in John chapter 4. So this is not spirit. This is physical, tangible. Jesus shows up in this story is the one who is walking with us in our ordinary everyday life as the faithful friend who keeps asking us again and again, where are you? He's asking us that today. Where, where have you gone? Where have you been lately? I, I remember dropping my kids off at school when they were younger and even to this day, sometimes dropping them off and the, my bubbly boys, I dropped them off out at Murray Lake and and they're one human being, one creature when I drop them off. And then when I pick them up, just seeing the glow has gone from their eyes and they've been hollowed out and something has gotten to them. And it's if you're not the same person I left behind. Who got to you in the last six hours? Who talked to you? What did they say? What happened today? You, you can imagine Jesus coming in and he's like, where did you go? What happened? And they're hiding in the trees because they feel exposed and they feel ashamed, and they feel afraid. And what do humans do when they feel those emotions? What do you do? You hide, you cover up, you grab an elaborate fig leaf and you just cover yourself and hide. And we're great at hiding. And God is great at always pursuing us. Isn't it awesome to have someone that chases after you and when you're missing, he comes to find out where you've been and where you are. Some of you even wonder here in your thoughts, in your heart of hearts, like if I went missing, would anyone come looking for me? And I want you to know like, this is the kind of God that when you go missing and you hide, he comes and asks, where are you? And it's search and rescue. It's been that way from the beginning. The other theophany is not many chapters later in Genesis 21, Verse 14, and it was Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar was the servant of Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, who was married to Sarah and couldn't have kids. And Sarah had this brilliant idea, well, why don't you have relations with Hagar so that you can have children and you can develop this nation that God has promised? If your wife ever suggests that, don't listen to her. She'll be mad at you later. <laughs> because that's what happened in this story. She got jealous, was ticked off at Ishmael and Hagar and the relationship that Abraham had with Ishmael. And when Isaac was born, she said, I want them gone. And they were kicked out and left for dead in the desert. In verse 14, Hagar went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. And when the water and the skin was gone that she was given by Abraham, she put the boy under one of the bushes and she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? I love that question. Don't be afraid, God has heard the boy crying and he's, he lies there. As he lies there, lift up the boy and take him by the hand for I will make him into a great nation. Jesus shows up as the one who sees and hears the cries of the single mom and her desperate child and compassionately asks, what's the matter? 
It's just so simple. The God of the universe asks such simple questions. Where are you? What's the matter? How are you doing? What's wrong? You okay? Everything all right? And you think you're alone out in the desert and you're preparing to die. There's some of you here that have cried some tears even recently and no one's been around, or at least you thought. There's some of you that have been single moms, single dads in this place, and you're just like, man, I don't know if he hears my cries. It's awesome. The name for God in this text is Elroy, which is the God who sees. Nothing escapes his attention. He sees and knows everything going on in your life. And I love this. He hears the cry or the sob of the boy under the bush. It made me think of like boys and girls, children, sons and daughters in this place, the pressures that they're going through in our society, the panic, the dread, the suicidal thoughts, the anxiety, the pain, the affliction, the dysfunction, the abuse, the loneliness, the fear. Do you know, sons and daughters, that God doesn't just start listening to you when you become an adult, that he hears the little ones and those cries move his heart and move him to show up on this planet in the form of Jesus to talk to this woman and say, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you and your son. And he did. This will blow your mind. Do you know what nation came out of Ishmael? The Muslim nation, the Arab nation, both of them have the same father, Abraham, and that's why there's a war at the Temple Mount in the holiest of places because they both claim that as their inheritance, both children of Abraham. And God took care of Ishmael and his mom and he heard their sobs and said, what's the matter? Another one found in Genesis is this guy by the name of Jacob and uh, Jacob was kind of a wily guy, a deceiver. And he was, his name actually means heel grabber. Uh, he was born with his brother Esau, who was born first, and he was, came out of the womb grabbing the heel of his brother, which seemed, seems like it'd be painful. Painful birth. And his whole life, he wanted to supplant his brother. And so he stole his birthright and his blessing by faking his dad out. And then his brother Esau was so enraged for decades he chased after him. And this guy was on the run his whole life, deceiving and being deceived. And we catch him at his place in the story where he'd run and run for decades from Esau. And finally he was surrounded and he thought, this is my last day to be alive. And he went up on this mountain and Jesus joined him for what he thought was gonna be the last night of his life. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with this, this man. He was a Lowell wrestler, right? And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. He was hardcore. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob. Or deceiver, he said. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and humans and have overcome 
And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. I saw God, I saw the son of man, I saw Jesus and I wrestled with him. It's interesting that the last Christophany is one where it seems like God tenderly comes to this woman and tenderly speaks to her what's the matter. And in this one, he's aggressive because some of us, when you're a runner and you're a deceiver and you're a rebel, you need God to get aggressive with you today. I think some, some masculine hearts here just got your forehead set like flint, you're strong-willed, you're incorrigible, you've just made up your mind, you've been on the run, and it's just your sheer strength and willpower that's got you this far. And some, just God loves you so much sometimes, he'll let you wrestle with him and he'll wrestle with you until he changes you from a deceiver and a runner to an overcomer. And I believe that change can happen on days like today, that he touches down like a tornado just like he did back then and leaves behind the remnants of his visitation. <laughs> the next guy he came to was Gideon and he was hiding. The Midianites were closing in they were oppressed by this nation that was way bigger than they were. And it says in Judges 6, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash where the son of Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, which is not what you do in a wine press, to keep it from the Midianites. He was hiding. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I love Gideon's response. Pardon me, my Lord? But if the Lord's with us, then why has all this happened to us? You ever ask that question? Why is this happening to me if you're real? And he goes on. Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? But now the Lord's abandoned us. My grandpa and papa told me about it. My mom and dad told me about it. I haven't seen none of it. And you call me a mighty warrior? You know where you found me? I'm threshing wheat in a wine press, dude. Pardon me? Mighty warrior? And the Lord turned to him, as Jesus does, and said, doesn't even answer his questions, which is what Jesus does most of the time. <laughs> he just goes back to your strength. And he says, go in the strength you have. You don't have to be a poser and imposter. You got burning coals under you, burning embers, and I'm gonna fan those babies into flame today. Because you are a mighty warrior, even though you think you're a mighty wimp. And you're gonna save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then he says again, pardon me, Lord? You ever gone to God twice like, I don't think you know who you're talking to? You don't want me. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, that's okay, I'll be with you. And when you feel the last and the least or you feel lost, I don't know why, but the weakest and least, God just comes after them. And he sees greatness in people. And you can say, pardon me, Lord, you're... You don't want me. And you can be a skeptic and you can be a doubter. And God still is like not scared of your questions and your doubts. 
This is where Jesus shows up as the one who finds you hiding in fear with questions and doubts, declaring to your discouraged heart, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have. Some of you need Jesus to say that today. today. Then we learned about this last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This was another theophany in chapter three where Nebuchadnezzar raised up a graven image. They, children of Israel are in exile and he raised up a graven, graven image of himself and told everyone to bow down. And these three teenagers, 14, 15, 16 years old, always together in this triad, wouldn't bow down and he was torqued off. And we read about it in 19, chapter three of Daniel. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of them, the strongest of men and his soldiers in the army to tie up the, the boys and throw them in the burning furnace. And if you read in that story, the ones who threw them in the furnace, it was so hot, those soldiers died right there in the spot. And so these men wearing their robes and trousers, they even had trousers back then, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown in the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of God and they're roasting marshmallows in there. What's going on? He's just, in, he's totally amazed. Like, I know there was three, and now there's four. And I love what he says in the fourth, looks like the son of the gods. Because that's what they believed in, there's many gods. And that, that looks like a supreme deity in there with them. You know why? He is a supreme deity. He's the supreme deity. He is Jesus. And we don't like this because when we're crying out to God, we want Jesus to show up in a certain way to get us out, but Jesus is the one sometimes that shows up and finds us hiding in fear with questions and doubts, but he's also the one who sees you in the fire of suffering and struggle. Instead of answering your prayer to get you out of the fire, he answers your prayer by saying, I'll join you in the fire. And you can pray, God, get me out. And he's like, no, 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 I want to join you in. I want to join you in. Invite me in with you to what you're going through. We, we read this even in the popular Psalm, Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He, he joins us in that valley of the shadow. You might be in the fire today. I just know I've gone through suffering and struggle in my life and trials and temptations and Sometimes it, it hits really hard. I feel under attack in life. And I remember back when I was a youth pastor, I think I've always struggled with my sensitivity leads to concern, which can lead to worry, which can lead to fear, which can lead to anxiety, which can lead to sort of stress, which can lead to anxiety attacks, which can lead to panic, that can lead to panic attacks, that can lead to mental breakdowns. I don't know where you've been on that continuum, but I've been on every stinking one of those in my life, I got spidey senses. And it's really great because I can feel everybody in this room and I can feel the heart of God pounding right now, but I can also sometimes feel things I don't wanna feel that are very oppressive in this world. And it was one of those days when I was a youth pastor and I just felt like I was in a darkness. Ever been in a fog or a darkness that has sort of enveloped you? 
And I went to my favorite spot in my buddy Jeff's woods, and there's this massive beech tree that came out of the side of this ravine that went down, and on this side, there was like the shale rock, and when the ground would thaw, specifically in the spring, like water would trickle down the shale rock over the seaweed and over the roots coming out of the ground. It just made this beautiful, beautiful sound. It's almost therapeutic. I remember in the woods, out loud saying, God, where are you? I need you. God, you need to show up in my life. Show me you're with me. And all of a sudden, I, I heard this sound <laughs> around me. I was like, what is that? What, what is a bat doing out in the daytime, right? And it wasn't a bat. It was a hummingbird. This hummingbird was flying, flittering around, and all of a sudden, it came right in front of me, about two feet away right here, and I was like, <sighs> to tell you I don't know if you've ever seen a hummingbird close but they like tilt and you can't see their wings and they're like floating giant gigantic insects and he just like tilted his head and like looked at me and then went darted down and just started plucking drops of water that were coming off of the seaweed got a drink came back looked at me and was like this for like 10 seconds 15 seconds and then just went and I was like oh. I was like that was amazing out in the wild I'm not talking about baiting them in with like Kool-Aid. It was just like the real deal out in the woods. And I got in the car and I was like, that was crazy. And I turned the car on, the music was blaring. It must have been blaring when I turned it off. And it was Hootie and the Blowfish from 1994. Only wanna be with you. It's when Darius Rucker didn't go to like country, but he was like leading a band. I heard that band's gotten back together and they're going on tour. Somebody sent me this last night after the sermon. That's all they remembered about the sermon last night. <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish getting back together, coming to Van Andel probably near you. But only want to be with you. I hit seek on it and it went to the next channel. It was like, only want to be with you. I hit seek again. Only want to be with you. On three stations, 10 years after the song came out. And then I hit the fourth one. I'm on a roll. And it didn't go to that on the fourth one. But three times in a row, I only want to be with you. And I was like, this is weird. I've heard about these things happening to other people, but they do not happen to me. I don't really have tons of magical, miraculous, supernatural experiences. And I got to this gas pump in Bell Fountain, and I started pumping gas and all of a sudden, I thought I heard my name, Jason. I looked around, man, I didn't see anything. And then I thought I saw my name. And I looked at the gas pump, and it's got all these stickers of inspections, and an auditor comes and with the weights and measures. And I was looking at the sticker, and it'll have like January, February, March, April, May, June, goes down through, and stickers are up there. And then all of a sudden, I, I saw this one sticker, and I looked at it, and it had J and F and M, and I looked even closer, and it was in a circle. And all of a sudden, I saw my name, and the third time, it was like, Jason. And I was like, July, August, September, October, November, my name. And it was on this circle. And it was like, Jason, around like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, my name is the only one in all of the months other than the mom. And uh, <laughs> you've got that name here. But Jason, like, and it was like the, from the hummingbird to hooting blowfish right to this. And it was like a moment where God, is as if God said to me, Jason, I'm right here, it's okay. And he comes and he shows up when you need him. I wish it happened all the time. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens right on time. 
And then Jesus came, the incarnation that we know of, where he came to earth, and John, his best friend, said this of him, the word became flesh and dwelt among us for 33 years, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came to this planet, and one translation says, he came to earth and he pitched his tent among us, the God who came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And then it was said of him in Philippians chapter two that this Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he let go of it, and made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion just as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday, that he became obedient to death to show us the full extent of his love. He didn't just come at a specific time to a specific person, an isolated incident, and then go. He stayed until he died and accomplished his work and breathed. It is finished, and then gave up the ghost, dying for our sin. Who does that? I was with a guy a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about one of you who don't even know him, knew he was going through something, and took over a plate of of cookies with pink frosting. You know who you are. And he's like, I don't know why this woman did this and I don't even know her, who does that? And I was like, I know who does that, Jesus does that. He goes off the beaten path, he looks, he says, where are you, what's the matter, what's your name, I'll join you in that, that's what Jesus does. He goes to crosses for people on their behalf to be the substitutionary atonement, to be the surrogate, sacrifice for us so we're not pinned to that cruel cross of torture he did that for you and me and then he rose from the dead which is why we're here today and in acts or in john chapter 20 he spoke of this when he rose from the dead and the disciples were hiding away from the jews on the evening of the day his resurrection the first day of the week the doors were locked where the disciples were for fears of the fear of the jews and jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I love that the doors are locked and somehow Jesus kind of gets in anyhow. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where he was pierced and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so now I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, the one, one thing that was awesome about Jesus is he could be with people, but he could not live in people. And that's why he said, it's better for you that I go away because I will send the Holy Spirit and he won't just walk with you, he will live in you. That's accessible today for all of us. Jesus shows up and that 33 years of his life as the one who finally displays the full extent of his love by coming in the flesh 2,000 years ago as a baby, dying for our sins on the cross and raising from the dead to give new life and saying to us, believe in me and receive the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation. But what's cool is five years after this happened and he ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us when we pray, he came back after four or five years 
There was one more guy he needed. His name was Saul, and he was killing Christians. He was not a church planter. He was a church persecutor. And this guy Saul was a bad dude. He was a lewd, crude, shrewd dude. And he came back for him because he knew, I want to use this guy to go after Gentiles so that places like Lowell will hear about Jesus. And Paul talks about this event, this testimony in Acts 22, starting in verse 6. He says, as I was on my way and drew near Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, I don't know who you are. I'm not. And he answered, who are you, Lord? And he's like, well, you know my name is Lord, but let me give you more specifics. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? That's the question. Once you know who Jesus is, he shows up, he gives you the invitation, he gives you the revelation of who he is. The next question is, well, what must I do? What should I do? And he says this to him in verse 14, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard even today. And now, why do you wait? That's an awesome question. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I love this. Jesus shows up as the one who meets us on whatever messed up road we're on, encounters us when we least expect it, introduces himself as our savior and says, why wait, call on my name for salvation and be baptized? And I'm telling you, a couple thousand years later, He's been doing this all the way from the Garden of Eden to this day, and he came for us, and he keeps coming for us right up to 2019. The only reason I'm in ministry is to just keep proclaiming this message to people who have never maybe heard it before. Some of you under the sound of my voice today are like, man, I've never heard the story of the pursuit of the living God, Jesus, from the beginning of time and creation up till now pursuing the people that he loves, his deep heart for humanity. And he says, why do you wait then? Call upon my name for salvation today and receive my Holy Spirit. Who does that? You might be hiding from God, he's saying, where are you? You might be crying out in the night, he says, what's the matter? You might be running from God as a rebel and he comes and says, what's your name? Who do you think you are? You might be suffering in the fire and he comes and says, I'll stand in it with you. And if your spirit is empty today, he says to you, call out and receive my spirit. And if you're desperate for a change, he comes and says, why wait? Call on me. And I just wanna give people the opportunity that have never done this before, never done this and meant it in their deep heart. But right now, your mind is spinning and your heart is beating and you're like, man, he's drawing me to invite him to come not just into the fire, but to come into my heart so that his Holy Spirit can commune with my human spirit. Do you realize what it is to have the Holy Spirit living in you? Some of the things that are hurdles that you can't get over, mountains you can't climb and fire that you can't make it through, you can with the Holy Spirit, but you God, invite him in. And if you want to invite him into your heart today for salvation, I want to give you that opportunity today. I wrote out a prayer of salvation that I wanted all of us to read together. 
Some of us will be saying this for the first time, the rest of us just reminding ourselves of the precious essence of the gospel that has saved us here today. Will you join me in reading this prayer of salvation? Jesus, I recognize that you've been pursuing me since I was born, desperately wanting a relationship with me. I don't want to wait any longer to turn and accept your invitation of salvation. I'm calling on your name to be saved, Lord. Thank you for dying for my sins and raising from the dead so that I could live a new life of forgiveness and freedom. I receive your Holy Spirit into my heart and give my life to you so that I can follow you from this moment on. I'm yours, Lord. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. In the last three services, we've had 30, 35 people just cry this out for the first time. And that, I'm assuming, is some of you here today. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I want to celebrate those who've cried that out from their heart, meant it for the first time, or spoke that for the first time. And God has just come and invaded your heart with His Holy Spirit as you've invited Him into your heart. And I just want to celebrate that with you and want to pray for you this week. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, could you just lift up your hand? Boldly just lift up your hand so I can see it. I just wanna see it. Just keep it raised. Yeah, just keep it raised. Just be bold if you prayed that. Yeah. Yes, God. Yeah. I see you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, another nine. Come to know the Lord. We're just so grateful. Isn't that awesome, people? Thank God. He knows you, for all of you, even if right now you resisted and you're like, man, I felt like I wanted to take a step, but I just, I just couldn't do it. He's, he's gonna keep pursuing you. He'll never give up on you. He loves you. He loves you. And God, we thank you for this Easter holiday where one day we really just fixate on your resurrection and coming to new life your victory over the grave, but really we do that all the time around here because you're the one who's given us forgiveness and freedom and to give us love and life. And we are just in debt to you, Lord. We owe you just the debt of gratitude for your sacrifice and your salvation. I thank you for the nine that have raised their hand here and the 35 and the other services, Lord. You've been so good to us this weekend. As we leave this place, may we just have our antennas up, just seeing you moving in our life and inviting us to join you in loving this world. Do you so love this world that you gave your only son? And, and if we know you, we should so love this world too. It's not us against the world. We're for the world. You are for the world. You came for the world. You love the world so much that you gave your son. Just keep pursuing us, God, in our rebellion, in our addictions, in our secrets. God, I pray that you just won't give up on us, that you'll make another pass today and make another pass tomorrow and just don't pass us by, Lord, until we relent, Lord, and repent and give our lives to you. We love you, God, for all that you've done and all that you're doing. We give you praise today on this Easter holiday, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed. Have a great Easter.